Good morning, everyone. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Going to verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When first century believers began to worship on Sundays instead of the time-honored Saturday Sabbath, they did so simply because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Considering our current 
state of affairs, it would be a travesty not to further examine the applications of this historical event, the resurrection, upon the way we think about the here and now and future. Most of us have probably already been motivated to more seriously consider things we may have not ever considered before, especially because so many areas of life are being affected now that we just took for granted before. But it's one thing to consider all the hypothetical what-ifs, and quite another thing to think biblically in the midst of a serious trial that keeps revealing more and more unconsidered consequences. To start off on the right foot today, please consider this statement. Because Christ did rise from the dead, we can approach each day as a new beginning. God says in his word, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, honestly, consider what kind of hope it is that you tend to turn to. What does hope mean to you? Is hope a word that conveys some kind of leap of faith? Or is it rooted in something solid and factual? Is it something you have to muster within yourself with all your strength and then it always seems like it's just beyond your reach? Or is it something that has actually become a part of you and your thinking and your very being? Would those that know you the best describe you as a person without much hope? Or would they say that your hope is readily visible as an anchor of your soul? There is nothing like a serious trial or personal suffering to reveal to all what we really hope in or for. We've seen earlier in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 that love hopes all things. And in the same chapter, verse 13, that hope is one of the three most important to understand words in all of the Christian life. A simple definition is hope is favorable and confident expectation and has to do with the unseen and the future. The catch is that there's no real way to know or test what you really hope in or for until things happen in your life that open up your heart and suddenly make your true hopes plain to see. Romans 8 
verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Ah, now we see another problem. Hope involves waiting. And much of what the Christian hopes for will not be seen in full measure until we are with the Lord. And honestly, we don't like to wait for much of anything. Our culture has transferred its hope onto stuff that we can get now, which is just really instantaneous gratification. Learning how to wait and hope in the Lord in what we'd consider normal circumstances is already a fierce and long and daily battle for most believers. But in times of serious trial and personal suffering, which we think of as unusual circumstances, what we had usually counted on to get through the day, the week, month, and year is suddenly in danger of disappearing or already mostly gone. At some point, the earlier the better, we have to realize that this is a battle that's really about the way we think about the here and now and the future. In other words, this is about what the treasure of our heart really is and what we hope in. Hope really describes three different but related things. First, hope describes the joyous anticipation of good. Second, hope describes the ground on which this anticipation stands. Third, hope describes the object upon which the anticipation is based. So these three areas again, anticipation of good, the ground on which this anticipation stands, and the object upon which the anticipation is based. Let's look briefly at each one of these three. First, Hope describes the joyous anticipation of good. This is the most frequent way hope is used in Scripture. We don't hope, anticipate, or expect the worst for someone or something unless we are extremely self-centered and evil and completely out of it spiritually. Second, Hope describes the ground on which this anticipation stands. One negative example in scripture is provided in Acts chapter 16, verse 19 and following. The account of the slave girl's master's hope disappearing. We read, but when her owners 
saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. These guys were hoping or anticipating something good, in this case a big profit, from the fortune-telling of their slave girl. When Paul cast out the demon that was responsible, their hope went the same way the demon went, out and gone. They grounded their hope of profit on their slave girl's demonic fortune-telling ability. For believers, the ground that our hope should stand on is what God says in his word, that Christ is in us, made possible only by Christ's resurrection. This has been one of Paul's most emphatic points throughout 1 Corinthians, but especially in chapter 15. There is no hope of anything promised in Scripture without the resurrection. The last part of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, describes the great mystery of our faith as being Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our anticipation of good, then, should be grounded on the biblical truth that Christ is in us, united with us, living in us, dwelling in us. This is why we can expect glory because of our union with Christ, not because of anything we have done. If Christ had not been raised, there would obviously be nothing, no one to be united with, living in, dwelling in. Now, going back to the negative example of the slave girl's owners, first, what good were Paul and Silas anticipating in the city of Philippi? To bring glory to God by proclaiming the gospel. Paul's day went south when he and Silas were dragged off by the owners and much of the crowd and brought before the authorities, who we read in that text beat them with rods and then threw them in prison. Did Paul and Silas fall apart because their evangelism effort in Philippi was thwarted? Absolutely not. In Acts 16, in verses 25 through 34, we learn there that they were praying and singing hymns to God, even though they were in the inner part of the prison and locked in stocks. Their hope was not in gaining glory for how many souls they won for the Lord or how they wanted the people to see how righteous they were, their hope was based or grounded on the truth that they were in Christ and he in them. In other words, they knew the truth of who they were and who they belonged to. 
Their king was on his throne. And so they worshipped him even as they were badly beaten and locked up. As they glorified and trusted in their Lord, the object of their hope, they discovered that the jailer had questions about this God they were worshipping. God used these servants of his to be the means by which the jailer heard the gospel and saw it in action. And he believed along with his family and whole household. Third, hope describes the object upon which the anticipation is based, or a better way to say that, upon which the anticipation is trusting in. And the object of our hope is, of course, specifically Christ. The key to healthy thinking in this matter is the realization that if our hope is in anything else besides Christ, it's not a secure anticipation. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with hoping as long as we realize that the difference in the Christian's hope is Christ himself being the object of our hope. In other words, your faith is only as good as what or who you put your faith in. So it's also true for your hope. Your hope is only as sure as what or who you are ultimately hoping in. Again, another important way to say this is that your hope is only as sure as what or who you are trusting in, really trusting in. Trust is the part of faith that confirms that your faith is real. So when we talk about hope now, we can understand it as the anticipation of good, which stands on the ground of what God's word says about our relationship with the risen Christ, knowing that the object of our hope must be Christ himself, not anything else. Anything else will fade, tarnish, disappear, let us down, or lead us astray. Now, if you need an easy way to remember these three parts of what hope is, anticipation, ground, and object, the first letter of each of those words is A, G, and O. Helps me. Now, another example, one that probably everybody in here has had some kind of experience with, except for the very young. Consider someone hoping for a new job. They are anticipating something good. That anticipation 
may be based or grounded on some circumstances at work that they're doing already, a relationship, a desire, some decision, etc. The object of their hope is that the job may mean more, mean more pay, a better environment, change of scenery, etc. With this kind of hope, however, this person must realize and does that their hope may actually never be realized. It may never happen. It's not a certainty or a sure thing. Will this possibility undermine then their emotions and their thinking? Many, many times, yes. What their hope is grounded on is a set of circumstances or some relationship at work or just the way the wind's blowing at the time. Not the absolute truth of God's word. And the object of this hope is based on what they desire or think will happen. Better pay, working conditions, etc. And not on the Lord and his purposes which is not a primary concern, usually. Another example, it's a little old time-wise, but it works. There's not much left of the hope for world peace. We used to hear about it often, but there may be once again, if the current worldwide pandemic comes to an end as a result of most of the world sort of cooperating on something for once. As believers, we have a lot of inside information on this one that should keep us on track more than someone who does not know Christ. But non-believers can still hope for world peace. They can anticipate the good if it happens. However, what their hope is grounded on and what the object of their hope is based on are both incorrect assumptions. First, that mankind can get along without killing each other. And second, that people are basically good and therefore have the ability to live peacefully with one another over time. As Christians, we know and hope that our world will experience world peace when Christ rules every heart. Our hope is grounded on the truth of Scripture that teaches our Savior has already done what was necessary to purchase a people for himself and also that the object of our hope must be Christ himself who will come again to wrap everything up at the end of time. Now, does this mean that we just sit around and passively wait for Christ to do this? No. Does this mean that we don't cry out for peace and hope for it and pray for it and do our part to bring peace between people? No. We need to do what God wants us to do, and this is part of his calling for us to walk in love and be instruments of peace, always. But this does mean that we should not get sidetracked into movements that seek one particular good thing 
without comprehending God's plan and purpose for people in general. You see, we can hope for world peace, but we believers know that Christ is the key to it, not some political movement that leaves him out of the equation. Interestingly, there are three adjectives in Scripture that describe hope. In the New Testament, those three are good in 2 Thessalonians 2.16, blessed in Titus 2.13, and living in 1 Peter 1.3. Good hope blessed hope, living hope. So God tells us that our anticipation of good, grounded on what God's word says about our relationship with the risen Christ, is good and blessed and living, meaning it won't die out. This is what God says. Now let's go back for a moment to the person who hopes for a new job. A believer who is hoping for a new job has a deeper and more sure hope than just the job, getting the job. He or she knows that their ultimate hope rests in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. They know that they are secure now and forever and that God made them for his glory. As they hope for a new job, they see this possibility then in the light of the bigger picture. They belong to the Lord who came to save them from their own sin. They know God is faithful, powerful, merciful, loving, and purposeful. They know as they go before the Lord, they must come with humbled hearts. They know that however God leads and answers, he will supply the grace needed. In other words, they can hope for the job knowing God will accomplish his purposes in and through, and here's the key, the whole process. So however God works and leads and answers, the believer can know God's peace throughout all of it. This hope is good and blessed and living, we will never be without a secure hope in him. As we think about what's ahead, how can we apply what we've learned about hope today? Should we have hope for the future? You bet. Should we distinguish between our hope on temporal things and our hope that is in Christ? Yes, we must. Should we be diligent to help one another understand how these two things must mesh? Yes. Think about what your primary and ultimate goals are. This will also be what you're really teaching your kids, whether you realize it or not. What your primary and ultimate goals are. Is it happiness, 
or faithfulness to God? Is it only financial security or being financially free to serve the Lord? Success at any cost or living in a way that brings glory to God? Fierce independence or loving commitment to those in the body of Christ? Now, as we look ahead, there are way more questions and concerns than there were just weeks ago, true? Are we more deeply realizing how important it is to know who we are in Christ? Knowing what God's word says about our relationship with the risen Christ? After all, that is the ground or basis for our hope according to scripture. Our future with Christ is wrapped up and secure. And that should be the good that we anticipate. But what too many of us tend to do initially is very dangerous. And that is to focus on the details of life so much and so exclusively that we lose the long-range perspective. And then pretty soon we start putting our hope on circumstances, on people, on our plans, without even, even remembering what our ultimate hope is. This effectively takes the reality of Christ out of our day-to-day -day lives, hoping for a new this or a new that, without consciously yielding to Christ's lordship, is essentially putting our hope not on Christ, but on that thing we're hoping for. And what is that? It's idolatry. Have we realized yet that our God is using this pandemic to effectively, very effectively, root out and bring to light our still idolatrous hearts because it's just so easy to fret and worry about everything under the sun. What about those people who have suffered loss already or that will? Are the rest of us ready in our own hearts to pray and encourage and weep with those who weep? Is our well-being completely determined by whether we make it out of this or whether something happens in the midst of it? In other words, how can we encourage and sympathize and stand with someone who's hurting if we haven't removed the idols in our own hearts? God knows what is good for us now, as well as for eternity. That's the key to understanding hope. Our hope lies in God who loves us and has proven it. So we can trust him with what's ahead, no matter what the forecast looks like. Why? 
because our relationship with him is personal. It's a living hope. If God lets pain or sorrow enter our lives for a time, then he knows it's what's best for us. If God chooses to bless, then he knows that's what's best for us. If God is still answering prayers by saying wait or by saying nothing at all, then he knows we need to learn to wait on him. Our anticipation of good is based on the fact that Christ rose from the dead and lives in us, not as an intruder, but as one who has been embraced as Lord and Savior. We are eternally united with him, identified with him. So who else can our hope really be in? Certainly not myself, certainly not even in you, certainly not in a political entity, certainly not in something I've acquired, certainly not in a job, certainly not in anything or anyone but Christ himself. Christ is our hope of glory. With our hope correctly placed in Christ and on Christ, we can live in this world with a peace in our hearts that cannot be explained by mortal men. If our friends who do not know Christ grow more and more despairing as they may see their hopes fade away, we have an opportunity to display the hope of Christ. We have a purpose and a reason to rejoice and anticipate good, even when it doesn't seem good now. Our hope does not fade away. Think about it. Our hope just keeps getting closer. In 2 Corinthians 14, verses 14 through 18 that I read earlier, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Bow with me in prayer. Oh God, continue to use this time to sanctify us bringing us to more complete trust 
in who you are and who we are in Christ our Savior and Lord. Protect us as we go forward and open our eyes more and more to truly see and understand how much we have to thank you for. Please stand for our benediction or just listen. From 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Blessings to you all. Have a good week. Stay in touch as much as possible.